This is TSC Now, a podcast from the TSC Alliance. Hello and welcome to TSC Now. I'm your host, Dan Klein. This weekend is the 20th anniversary Comedy for a Cure. Comedy is one of my favorite events. And to highlight this historical evening, this episode will be all about the history and president of Comedy for a Cure. First, I talked to the hilarious Craig Shoemaker, part of our dedicated comedian committee, who helped book the talent every year for the show. Craig tells me about how he first got involved, why this cause is so near and dear to his heart, and why it's so hard to host comedy shows over Zoom. Here's my conversation with Craig. So I'm now joined by the hilarious and very talented Craig Shoemaker. Craig, thank you for talking to me today and joining the podcast. Thank you for getting my name right. You'd be surprised. <laughs> I'm your biggest fan, Craig Shoemaker. They call me Shoemaker. You, you said it right. It's Shoemaker. You make shoes. You don't mock shoes, right? Unless they're Crocs. I have five pairs, so I know. You know what the holes are for? So your self-esteem can slip out. So we're here today to discuss Comedy for a Cure. We're coming up on the 20th anniversary of the event. And I was just curious, how did you first get involved with this event? I was approached by Jim O'Hare. We know one another from what well, we did a film together. I was actually in a couple episodes of Parks and Recreation. And uh, one of the most talented guys ever. And so he had such passion for this. I said, listen, if a guy I dig, if he's saying that this is a cause to be behind and he's so passionate, then uh, sure. You know, I get approached, as you can imagine, countless times by countless causes, but this is one that hit my heart. And then not only that, a manifestation of it is the people that work with the Alliance. They're really like great people that I also have this connected energy with. So it's where I belong in this organization. Well, we obviously appreciate all the time and energy you've dedicated to the show over the years. You actually headlined in 2015. What was that experience like? And how is this audience a little bit different than your typical uh, comedy audience? It is not easy. (laughs) It's not easy because the tone that is set is there's some sadness. So to bring people from that state of sadness, you know, it's a, it's a space that they're in and then immediately go, okay, we're going to pivot now. We're going to be irreverent and we're going to be, you know, truthful and dynamic. So that shift to take place, especially when people think that there are children in the room that might be offended by something that's said is not an easy place to be. But I think because people are there for the common cause, they sort of like erase some of those thoughts that they have and some of those fears and they eventually get into the flow. And I don't know if I've performed since, but I've arranged almost every year I've arranged for the performers or one of them, two of them, whatever it is, including this year with Caroline Ray. As you kind of alluded to, you serve on our comedian committee along with Jim O'Hare and several others, and you help bring other talent into this event every year. What's the pitch to these comedians? How do you go about helping to book the show? That's a very good question. Fortunately, uh, Wendy's the same way, Wendy Liebman. We know a lot of people because we, we're like OG. She and I won the Comedian of the Year Award, Stand Up of the Year, the same year. So we go back a long way in this business. We really got to know a lot of people. So when they get the call from us, I mean, they're not getting a call from some agent that's trying to get something. They're not getting a call from somebody who wants to use them to get further because, you know, Wendy and I have already, you know, we're fine. You know, we're good. So we reach out because we have this heart-filled purpose 
you know, with this organization to help in a way to not only raise the money, but also offer people some hope, some happiness, which we need so more, much more of now. So when I make these calls to the, I mean, I called Caroline this year. I said, Caroline, you know, it's just like, just trust me, <laughs> you know, just trust me. I don't even think I've ever sent anyone like a brochure. <laughs> Do you call them brochures anymore? <laughs> a one sheet. I don't think I've ever sent them anything. They just go, what? Okay. If I'm available, shoot. People call me shoot. Sure. I'll be there, you know, and, and they show up and, you know, I might throw in a little something about the organization, how cool the people are, you know, a little bit about what it's about. And each one of them, then they join the force. John Henson's kind of new to the tribe and Shane Brady's new to the tribe. I mean, it's each year we kind of accumulate until they don't need me anymore. That's, that's where I'm getting at. <laughs> so, I really do enjoy this group. I produced a couple of events out of my studio when we were locked down, nobody would go live. We had a little live thing in my studio. So on that note, you actually emceed one of our virtual comedy for yeah. during the pandemic. How is that different from an in-person <laughs> event? And, you know, how do you even approach having an event like this within a virtual space where you don't get that feedback from the audience? Well, I cheated a little bit. It was done at my studio and I put about 20 people in there. <laughs> so, but it was 20 people that were like you know, a little freaked out. And this is like right in the middle of the pandemic. And uh, so, because you really do need the live laughter. I've tried Zoom shows with no laughter and it is really hard for a comedian. We're not like a singer that can just, you know, we can all just sing, right? I can you'd sing to me right now. If you want to, you can sing, but it's like, I, you know, you wouldn't need my feedback. You just sing and comedy, you truly have to have that connection. So it was very difficult. The hardest thing for me that day was trying to MC while having technical issues connected to uh, Alex and Jim. They were in other places. I'm like, you can't do it. back to you. And it's live and it's uh, back to you. And you know, there's a whole give and take. So we're trying to have a give and take while we're sound like a, a referee with a bad microphone at a football game. <laughs> yeah, so. So what are some of your favorite memories from over the years at these events? Uh, one great memory is I took uh, my son, which was really nice. My oldest son, I took him to see uh, Mark Eddy was on that show and uh, he likes Mark Eddy and Mark's an old friend of mine. I booked him on the show. He's a fabulous guitarist and impressionist and very fun. And, you know, he did great. And you have to experience that with my son. It's nothing better than that. It must have been cool to share something that, you know, matters to you. That's a cause that yeah. you care about as well as, yeah. you know, getting to see a performer that he liked. And you know what? Teaching by example is to me what more people need to do. So what happened just the other day is apparently these children are getting my heart. You know what I mean? They're getting the philanthropic piece of me, the, the generous piece of me, and they're getting it. But however it happens, maybe it's not by me telling them, but they observe it. So my daughter, out of nowhere, eight years old, she came up with this on her own. She, really long blonde hair down to here. Everyone was oh, your hair is so beautiful. And I would brush her hair. She had it all chopped off for cancer patients. She wow. gave it, she gave her hair to cancer patients. She's got a little bob now. And not a single bit of her regretted it. You know, sometimes girly girls can be like, oh, my hair. My, no, she was like, she just had a big smile on her face. And she knows that it's giving back to someone who could use that. They're going to have a wig of my daughter's hair. And I was 
so proud of her. And it's that kind of thing that I do want the children. I'll probably even take one of the kids uh, to the event this week to see Caroline. I'm proud of that dad. You know, I mean, I didn't have a dad, so it makes it makes it even more special for me. That's really cool. You referenced the show coming up on April 3rd. What can you tell me about Caroline Ray and what should we expect from her? Well, I think Caroline is one of the maybe the most underrated comic in the business. That's what I would say. There are a lot of people that don't know her. I'm finding because I'll, I'll reach out, you know, who's that? Because she chose acting, which by the way, I would have too (laughs) in a minute. And she chose acting, but remained a comic at her heart. And she's got chops that are ridiculous. She can handle anything. Just one of those really brilliant comics. Like I couldn't even tell you a bit of hers because she's so spontaneous and it's, and it's her way and it's her being and it's it, all of it. She brings to the stage. Wendy Liebman, by the way, for, I've been a fan of hers forever as well. Same thing. It really has her style down. You know, they know who they are and that's what people are in store for. She's just engaging and funny and I'm going to go just to watch her. What is it about this cause? What is it about this organization? What is it about this community that inspires you to keep coming back year after year and, you know, dedicating your time and your talent to it? I'd say the biggest key, especially for like a Caroline or Henson or, you know, is it's about it's mostly about kids. But it's also about connection to parents, that the parents are, have a really difficult time. And it is really beautiful to give them that relief, to give them options, other opportunities to uh, shift their consciousness and be in bliss and be in joy, even if it's temporary. But, it, but to, to give them that and have that reflected back is a really cool thing. And I hope that that works for them because it works for us. That feeds the comedians. We, we don't get fed by the money that we make on this particular job, but we do get fed by the gratitude and the smiles. And this year we actually get to see the smiles. Yeah. I, I think the way we structure the show where, you know, you start with the stories and you start with the families and you start with the why it's so important and then getting to see those same families laughing and having fun. Yeah. It, it's so impactful. And, you know, you and the other comedians play such a big role in making that night special. So Thank you for everything that you do. And thank you for sticking with us. All right. Well, listen, thank you for having me. And uh, hopefully let's go raise a lot of money. All right. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a great show. Thank you for talking to me. And uh, I'll see you in L.A. in just a little bit. My thanks again to Craig for talking to me and for all the work he puts in behind the scenes bringing more comedians into the fold. He truly is a stand-up guy, in more ways than one. Next, I talked to Lisa Zalagi, a parent of a young adult with TSC, who was part of the original group who organized the first comedy event 20 years ago. She shares how this event came to be, how it has evolved over the years, and how fulfilling it is to have helped raise so much awareness of TSC and so much money for research through this event. Here's my conversation with Lisa. So I'm now joined by Lisa Zalagi, who serves on the planning committee for Comedy for a Cure. Lisa, thank you so much for talking to me today. 
Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Just to start, can you tell me a little bit about your personal connection to tuberous sclerosis? My daughter, Emily, who is 32 and a half, was born with tuberous sclerosis. We actually found out about 48 hours before her birth that she had tuberous sclerosis. They did an ultrasound and they were monitoring her heartbeat. And in the course of the prenatal checkup, they discovered that she had several rhabdomyomas in her heart. One of them was so large that they did not think that she was going to actually survive childbirth. So they moved us to UCLA and she was born at UCLA. They did not need to do open heart surgery at that time. That came years down the road, but they were very convinced that she had tuberous sclerosis, which of course we had never heard of. I did reach out fairly quickly to the, at the time it was the National Tuberous Sclerosis Association and connected with people there, connected with a local area representative. I really just wanted to meet other families and and see other kids and see what are we really dealing with here. So Emily was doing pretty well well and was on track developmentally until she was about 20 months old and had her first seizure. And things kind of snowballed and escalated from there. And we still, to this day, have not been able to really get good control of her seizures, multiple medications. And so we've really dealt with primarily the the seizure activity that has really affected her development. And then when she was 18 years old, she was diagnosed with renal cell carcinoma with kidney cancer. We have had a very long and complicated history with tuberous sclerosis symptoms. And you're always waiting for that other shoe to drop. And that other shoe has dropped for us several times. Early on after the diagnosis, you made a point of finding then what was NTSA and finding a local family and then served as, you know, the volunteer chair for the Southern California region. What did it mean to you to be able to connect with local families and build relationships with people who were on a similar journey as your family? It was really meaningful for me to be able to talk with parents and and help them. But it also highlighted the need for research because the number one question every single parent would ask me is, what is the best treatment and when is the cure coming? Research funding treatments, funding the cure. That's what everybody really wanted to know. And I am so happy to see the the changes that have taken place over the years since I started getting involved back in 1989. You know, when I talk to or meet parents now who have kids that are newly diagnosed, the outcome for those babies is so much better in so many cases. It's just exciting to see where the research has really made an impact in the lives of a lot of different people since the time that we got involved. So you talk about that research and the impact it's had. And something that I hear a lot is with the waves of this disease, with the highs and the lows, you want to find ways to take control, to empower yourself. Volunteering is one way to do that. Another way to do that is to fundraise for research. So prior to Comedy for a Cure, how did the local Southern California community 
conduct fundraisers? Back then, one of the ways that the Tuber Sclerosis Alliance had people fundraise was they had this nationwide garage sale. And the idea was great. It was something anybody, everybody could do. You could throw your garage sale stuff out on your lawn. And so we actually, in our local greater Los Angeles community, we had a lot of local families that were as motivated as we were to really try to raise some money towards research. So we went from our first year having just our own family garage sale. I hope maybe we raised $300, $400 to by our last year, we had a massive two day, like almost a flea market garage sale. That last year we raised something like $15,000, but it was a huge undertaking. We did that a couple of years in a row. And that actually was the origin of saying there's got to be a better way. So where specifically did the idea of doing a comedy show come from? We were always trying to find a celebrity who would take us on as a cause. That was something that we talked about a lot. We just all felt like, you know, we're here in in the location. There's all these comedy clubs. Other people had connections, Chris and Pat and and Christy and Henry. And so I think we just felt like, you know what, no matter what, it's going to be a fun event. So let's try it and see. And those first few years, it was. I mean, I think we, you know, raised a decent amount. But more importantly, it was it was really fun. So we're coming on the 20th anniversary of Comedy for a Cure. How has this effort evolved and changed over those years? Well, because this group out here are all overachievers, I think everybody was always looking for bigger and better ways to do it. Fortunately, different people with different connections were able to bring in different celebrities and different hosts and event planners. And all of that has really been what took it from the beginning level, which was good, up to the level that it's at now, which is pretty incredible. Do you have any favorite memories from past events or specific years that really stand out to you? I think it was a year that Sarah Silverman was one of the comedians and we had friends that had reached out to us to see if it would, you know, they could bring their kids to the event. And we're like, you know, this is really an adults only event. And so they were there with us. We were at the table with them and Sarah Silverman, who I I love, I think she's phenomenal, but she started her act and she's a little off color sometimes. And our friends turned to us and said, thank you for telling us not to bring our kids. You know, one of the main things for me that is wonderful is that my family has always come to the events and that just feels really supportive. The last time we had an in-person comedy for a cure in 2019, the TSC Alliance actually got to honor your family at the event. What did it mean to you to be honored and recognized for, you know, everything you've contributed to this event over the years? It was really special. This is our community. We are so blessed that the Tuberous Sclerosis Alliance has been there since the time that Emily was born, that we have been able to connect with other families, that we have developed this incredible bond with other people that are going through the same journey that we are and having our family there to see that and being able to have Emily up there. And for me, one of the highlight sort of awards or recognitions of of our lives that we've been able to help even just as a little bit. 
And now looking forward to this year, what are you most looking forward to to this year's event? And what are you hoping for for the evening? Well, looking forward to actually being back in person. I That is going to be so nice to actually be there and celebrate with everybody in person and just, you know, just kind of reconnecting and rebonding. I mean, really everybody involved, it's like a family and we've known people for so long. And, you know, we've now met new people that have joined and gotten involved over the last few years. For us, it's just a fun night knowing that we are doing something really good and really important, that we're raising money for research, that we're hopefully getting the word out through the publicity surrounding the event. Honestly, I still have hope with all of the challenges Emily's had and the developmental delays that feel permanent and the the fear that what else is going to happen. You know, all of those fears, I still hope that maybe there will really be a cure soon enough to impact her life. I think we all can hope for that. And speaking from my own experience, I love coming to Comedy for a Cure. It's such a cool event. And I'm always so inspired by that community coming together and putting on this show every year. It's it's really, really cool. Thank you for sharing your family story. And thank you for sharing your insights on the past and present of Comedy for a Cure. I really appreciate it. Thank you. No, this has been really great. You know, definitely a passion of my life to get the word out, to help other families who are on this journey, whether they're just beginning or having gone through it. Thank you for the opportunity to share that. My thanks again to Lisa for sharing her story and to all the Southern California families who have made this event such a staggering success year after year and who are so dedicated to accelerating research, not just for their families, but for future generations. Finally, our headliner for this episode is none other than Joanne Nakagawa, TSC Alliance Director of Clinical Projects and TSC Clinic Liaison. This year, Joanne will be honored at Comedy for a Cure and be receiving the TSC Champion Award for her many years supporting the TSC community, starting at UCLA and now with the TSC Alliance. Despite her protests, I had to have her on to celebrate all her accomplishments and get her perspective on how things have changed since she was involved in the Vigabatron trial in the 90s. Here's my conversation with Joanne. So I'm now joined by Joanne Nakagawa, Director of Clinical Projects and TSC Clinic Liaison for the TSC Alliance. Joanne, thank you so much for talking to me today. And thank you for inviting me, Dan. So I want to start at the beginning. What initially drove you to pursue a career in research? opportunity. Everything in my career was a door opened and I was given an opportunity. I didn't actually pursue it. I was actually going to go either to nursing school or I was or going to go into the Air Force. And then I had a roommate who said, you need to come down here and interview for a job. I went to UCLA, graduated from there, and then I went home. But I, then I got back to UCLA because I got a job. And I was always interested in clinical school. I wanted to be a, a doctor. It didn't go that way. And my other way was to get into research. And it's been an amazing journey because I've done different things and I don't think it's an opportunity I would have if I were just starting out in my 20s now. How did you first get involved in doing TSC research at UCLA? Really started in the mid-90s and I was at UCLA working for Don Shields, who was head of pediatric neurology there. 
And he and a colleague in Dallas, Roy Elterman, had put together a protocol for looking at bigabitrin for treating newly diagnosed infantile spasms. This was the very first study that was available for someone with, with a tuber sclerosis complex. Any other epilepsy trial excluded somebody with a genetic disorder. So this was really exciting. We had no problems with recruiting newly diagnosed infants with infantile spasms. That's how I got into it. And our very first baby was one month old with TSC. And our very last one was an infant with TSC. We had quite a few babies with TSC. So you take part in this study, but then how do you ultimately get connected to the TSC Alliance? The last baby that was enrolled in the study came from a one-on-one. We used to have these one-on-ones with the experts where families could meet with a physician. So back in, in 2001, there was a national conference in San Diego, and my boss and head of pediatric neurology, Don Shields, was one of the speakers, and he met with this family and the only person that I really associated with the organization was Vicki Whittemore. I knew of her. So then how did you come to join the staff of the TSC Alliance? My husband took a job with a nonprofit on the East Coast. We were, of course, living in Southern California. And he said, you need to get a job. Here again is an opportunity. Uh, one of the parents, Christy Hobart, her child was one of the infants that participated in the Bigabitrin study. And I asked if she would share my CV and see if there was an opportunity there. And I drove out to the national office in Silver Spring and they presented me with a job offer. The organization was looking to find somebody who could start the TSC Natural History Database. And because of my clinical research background and the fact that I had worked with the FDA, I think, and was just having that research background, it was a good fit. We all know what the Natural History Database looks like now, but what was it like building it back then from nothing? It wasn't that I built it. We, we had a company that was, was going to build it for us, but Vicki and I had to take the ideas, and it was like a three-inch binder of all these data points. So it took a year, and we launched it in a year later. So looking at where we are now, you know, the database has over 2,000 people enrolled. It's now connected to a TSC biosample repository. We're collecting patient-reported outcomes for the first time and even piloting whole genome sequencing. How has this tool changed TSC research and the ability to do clinical research. Quite a big impact. I mean, it started out with just wanting to collect clinical information on on people affected by TSC. It's just really exploded. To partner with researchers, clinician researchers, people who are interested in, in helping to find answers that will benefit the TSC community. It's been eye-opening to start out in, in 2005. And here we are with quite a lot of research going on. Yeah. I mean, it's truly an amazing accomplishment and accelerated our ability to move research forward in, in really meaningful ways. So you've also played a role on the clinical care side, you know, working with clinicians to help really define and refine consensus guidelines and also expanding TSC clinical care across the country. How has 
clinical care changed since you've been involved with the organization? When I started, there were 16 clinics. There was really no process for evaluating them. And now there are 70 in the United States and 10 globally. Where we've made a difference is to have all of these clinicians who are very interested in finding medications or other tools that would be very helpful for those impacted by TSC. Yeah. And I also just think it's made a huge difference for someone like you who is receiving phone calls from newly diagnosed families and having more resources to give them and more places that they can go for help. We need to do more and we hope that our clinics will be there to continue to educate, to educate families, but also to educate their colleagues and go out to the community and do that. So another thing you've done while you've been at the TSC Alliance is really champion the role of nurses in terms of people who provide care for those with TSC. You organized a nurses meeting. In your opinion, what role do nurses play in you know, ensuring someone gets the highest quality of care. I am a very, very strong advocate for the nurses and advanced practice nurses. They are oftentimes the first person there to meet with a family. And they are also the bridge between the family and the physician. So they play a very, very critical role. You can have many doctors, but if they don't have a nurse working with them, you know, it's incomplete. Yes, absolutely. And they are a key part of that team. And they also are so important in making sure that somebody has a positive experience when they seek help. I know that you are a humble person. You are someone who likes to work behind the scenes, but you have played a very critical role in some of those accomplishments that we've been talking about. What are some of the things you're most proud of during your tenure with the organization? Well, the nurse symposium, the very first inaugural nurse symposium at the 2018 World Conference, that was something that I was really proud of. I'm proud of being able to connect with not only the clinicians that are part of our clinic network and having those relationships and being able to connect physician to physician or tell families where we have experts around the country. It's been so fulfilling and rewarding to be able to provide either just emotional support or listen to families. Before I joined TSC Alliance at UCLA, the clinical trials, that was gave me that inward pleasure of being able to work directly with, with the parents and the families and be that bridge between the family and Dr. Shields. I want to do anything that I can do to help. I may not know the answer, but I will not stop. I will just keep, if I don't know the answer, I don't know, I will keep finding until I can circle back and give something back to anybody who asks for help. You recently told me that your favorite part of your job is getting that opportunity to interact with parents, to provide support, to help connect them to resources. Why does that mean so much to you? Like I said, I wanted to go to medical school and wanted to be a physician. So this was my alternative. I found a way to be able to be there to help in an ancillary way or not directly, but indirectly. I was born with it. I just like helping. This is what I've been doing for many decades and I really enjoy it. 
if I were to go back in time, maybe I could have gone into social work or something like that. Well, I think you are underestimating the total impact of your time, both during your time at UCLA, where you were helping to facilitate these clinical trials and also your time, you know, supporting families with the TSC Alliance and really to come full circle. Some of those babies in that Vigabitrin trial are now young adults and you still have relationships with them. What does it mean to see these kids grow up who participated in this trial? When I started at TSC Alliance and people found out, they go, great. They thought they lost the connection when I left UCLA, but I maintained those relationships. One of the uh, TSC infants is a very accomplished pianist. And I had the pleasure of seeing her a couple of weeks ago in Washington, D.C. And here she's in her 20s, 21, 22 now. She was one of the infants who, who did very well. She responded after the first dose. It's really wonderful to be able to to keep those relationships with with those families. And to know that in your own small way, you changed the course of her life. It's just really good to be part of something and see it from very early on and see how lives have changed. I had the opportunity to be part of it, but we wouldn't be here if it weren't for the families, for the parents who sacrifice, take time off from work and participate. And it's not me. It was certainly not me. I played a very small piece of being part of it. I'm just happy to be part. In true fashion, you are the first to shift praise to others. But focusing on you for just a minute, (sighs) what does it mean to you to be recognized by the TSC community and the TSC Champion Award? I'm grateful. I appreciate the recognition. And as much as you don't want to say it, I will say it for you. You absolutely deserve this. I'm excited to be there. I'm grateful for having you as a colleague for my entire time with the organization and watching how science has changed since I've been there has been really impressive. And, you know, just in ways big and small, you've helped shape my career too. our interactions in the office and, you know, your support of me. So so while you don't give yourself nearly enough credit, just know that I am one of the many people who are grateful for everything you've done and just happy that I have had the opportunity to work with you and have the opportunity now to celebrate you. Thank you, Dan. My thanks again to Joanne for talking to me, albeit apprehensively. What amazes me so much about Joanne is that every time I brought up an accomplishment, she always found a way to use it as an opportunity to elevate someone else. She is beyond humble And I'm so happy she is getting recognized for all the ways she has supported the TSE community over the years. Cheers to you, Joanne. Comedy for a Cure is this Sunday, April 3rd, at the Avalon in Hollywood, California. If you can't join us at the show, but feel inspired by Lisa or Joanne's story, make a donation to fund a cure and help us continue to advance groundbreaking research to find new treatments for those with TSC. You can do so now at comedyforacure.org. That'll do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to TSC Now. Our theme song is Take Charge by Young Presidents. Listen to all our episodes and subscribe to the podcast now at tscalliance.org slash tscnow. See you next time.